I know this has been a challenging week, not just here in Brazil with the demonstrations and the holiday of the Independence Day, but yesterday being the day that changed our world 20 years ago, 9-11, and even the repercussions here in this country and in all of our lives. And I hope we continue to pray for those families even after 20 years that were so devastated and affected by the events of that day. And, of course, the repercussions of that 20 years later, the, the events of Afghanistan even this last month. But God is uh, good. God is sovereign. God is never out of control or wondering what to do next. And we believe that God is using even the dispersion of the Afghan people throughout the Western world uh, to bring the gospel to them. And I hope you'll continue to pray for that, that God would reach those and that the churches would rise up wherever those Afghan refugees go, would welcome them with the arms and love of Jesus and exp express to them how much Jesus loves them, the real Jesus of the Bible. We have much to be thankful for. So I pray today as we open God's word that he will focus our minds and he'll open our hearts. If you're new with us today or maybe newer at church or coming back to church, uh, this is a time in our service when we look into God's word. We learn truth because we believe that God's word is the best way to guide our lives, what we believe and how we live. And so we want to take some time to look into the word of God this morning. And if you have friends that you wonder about, can I bring them to church? They're not followers of Jesus yet. I, I hope you know that when we look into God's Word, I always try to make it relevant to everyone who's here because the Word of God is relevant. We don't have to make it relevant. We just have to let its relevance shine through. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I, I hope that you understand and connect with what we look at in the Bible today and it connects to your life as well as for those of us who have been followers of Jesus most of our lives as well. So I wonder if you, as I was thinking this week, uh, maybe you remember in your own experience here in Brazil, if this, that's where you got your driver's license, that process you go through to get your driver's license. For me, I got my driver's license when I was 16 in the U.S., and it was a pretty simple operation there. Uh, my dad and brother kind of taught me how to ri uh, drive a car. They said, here, let's go out and drive. And so after a few driving times, I read the book, went down and took the, the test, and then I drove around the block with an inspector and got my license. It was pretty simple. Uh, now, I know that's not as simple here in Brazil. Uh, we have a friend also who is actually a refugee in Germany, and he's been going through this process of getting his driver's license. And in Germany, it's very much like here in, in Brazil. It's not a simple process. In fact, he's gone through it several times. There are two parts of the test, like there are here in this country. You have the written test you have to study for, and then you have to get behind the wheel. God help you in Sao Paulo. And you have to drive. And you have to drive in such a way that your inspector says, yeah, you're reasonably safe. I think you'll survive. So. Here's your license. Okay, that's why we don't drive in Sao Paulo. But our friend in Germany, he passed the written test on his first try, which is no minor feat because he's a refugee, so German is not his native language. When he first came to Germany, he was mostly illiterate, but he was able to study, pass that test on his first try. But he has failed the driving test <laughs> three times. And it's not difficult to drive in Germany like it would be here. But three times he's failed to get what he knows in his head 
on the written test and translate that into his feet and his hands as he drives the car. And he's failed that test over and over. He can't translate his knowledge of driving into his skill of driving. And that's not an inexpensive uh, failure because every time you have to pay more euro to re be retested each time. And I was thinking of that and thought, you know, that's, that's a challenge in a lot of areas of life, isn't it? To get what we know in our heads into our hands and our feet, into our lives. Maybe you can read and understand a, a cookbook. And you see that recipe and you think, oh, that is wonderful. And then that day comes when you're going to bake it. You're going to make it. And it comes out of the oven and you think, oh, that doesn't look anything like the cookbook. <laughs> Who's going to eat that? I'm not even proud of that. Or you take a music theory class and you ace the class. But you keep struggling with playing the piano and making the transitions that you know in your head how to do it, but your fingers don't seem to work. Or maybe you've, you're an athlete and a young person, you've looked on YouTube over and over about some of the, the soccer moves that you want to do on the field. What do you call it? Fuchiball. Yeah. So fuchiball moves. And you've got them down. You watch it over and over. And then you get out on the field and it's time to play. And you fall on your face. You just can't get it into your feet, what you saw in your head on the, the, the video. Or you know how your motor works, but you can't fix your car when it goes bad. You see, getting our, our head knowledge into real life isn't easy or automatic. Sometimes we really can struggle with that. And that's not just true in the physical world of things I've described. It can also be a challenge for us in our spiritual lives, can't it? Have you ever noticed that? Uh, trying to translate what we know about Jesus and the Christian life and actually living it out. That's not always as easy as it might appear. And so we want to live it out. But we say, struggle with, how do I do that so I can enjoy a victorious life that's empowered and controlled by God and resembles the life I read about in the New Testament? That can be a challenge, can't it? And it isn't just a challenge for us in our fast-paced uh, information-based world of the 21st century. It's also been a challenge for followers of Jesus. <laughs> Ever since the Bible was first written and someone memorized the first verse or read the first chapter that was ever uh, written and they wondered, now how do I get that into my life? How do I move from my head to my heart to my hands and my feet with those things I know? Well, fortunately... If you've ever wondered about that, ever struggled with that, we get some help in the New Testament, in, in a little book that we've been considering over the last several weeks. It's a book called Philippians. We've been in this series. We're calling this series Unchained Living. And I invite you to turn there in your Bible, if you have your Bible with you, your physical Bible or on your device, the book of Philippians. It's about a little over halfway through your New Testament. It's a letter that helps us in this section we'll be at today in chapter 2, helps us learn how to flesh out our faith. In this unchained living, that Paul, the apostle who wrote this book, now it's time, he says, I've told you some great truths about the Christian life, 
and about Jesus. And now it's time to flesh those out, to live them. And so I invite you to discover with me from Philippians chapter 2 today how we do that, how we flesh out our faith, how we live it out. And as you know by now, the author of this book was the Apostle Paul, and he's writing it from a prison cell in, in Rome where he's getting a lot of practice in how to live out what the truths he knows. There he is in a, a dirty, dungy prison cell, and the challenge is to live out what he knows to be true, what he's writing to the Philippians. So let's start the opening couple of verses. We pick up in verse uh, 12 of chapter 2 today. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So Paul begins this exhortation by telling us, listen, it's time to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And maybe of all of Paul's words in this short epistle, perhaps these are the most misunderstood, maybe most troubling to really get a grasp of what Paul's talking about here. And so I want us to move through this passage carefully so we have an accurate understanding of what Paul is saying and what he's not saying, what he means and what he doesn't mean. It'll be helpful, I think, to notice the very first word, therefore. If you've done much Bible study, you know that when you come across that word, therefore, that begins a new section, you should ask a question, right? What's the question you should ask when you see that word? Why is it there? What is it there for? It refers back to something. So now you know, one of those skills of Bible study, when it starts a new section. Therefore, well, what are you referring to, Paul? Well, Paul is saying, therefore, refers back to what we looked at last week. This, what's called the Philippian hymn. This wonderful hymn, little song that the, the early church sang about the person of Christ. Who he is as an illustration of the humility that we ought to have in our own lives. And we found that in verses 6 through 11. We won't re rehearse that again, but if you'd like to know more about that and you weren't here last week, those are on, that's online. But Paul's therefore means that he's telling the Philippians, now on the basis of what I've just told you about this Philippian hymn, the person of Christ, the doctrine of him, he's, he's saying, I don't want you just to sing that hymn, don't just enjoy it in your worship time, but I want you to live it out in your daily relationships. I want you to flesh it out. In other words, that's great theology about who Christ is. If you like doctrine, you, you will memorize that. You'll love it. You'll sing it. But it's not just given to us to expand our minds. It's given to us to change our lives, Paul says. And so now he expands on that with the imperatives to obey, to work out our salvation. Uh, that can be a little troubling. What do you mean by that? Well, that word obey, it needs a little explanation, I think, because it can sound a little bit harsh and maybe legalistic, like the Bible hands us a list of rules. It says, now do them. Don't question them. Just do them. Keep the list. 
follow the rules and regs. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus uh, yet, maybe that's how you've viewed Christianity. You think, no thanks, I don't need another list of rules to keep in my life. I already can't keep the rules I have for myself. I don't need somebody else's rules, God's rules, or the Bible's rules, or the church's rules. I just don't want to follow that. Well, if that's your, the case, I think you're going to discover it. that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what we as Christians have to do. Because Paul's point here is not just, here's a list of rules, now keep them, as though some kind of legalistic hammer he's going to lay, lay on top of us. In fact, he wrote an entire book of the New Testament called Galatians that counters that approach to the Christian life. Galatians says it's not about legalism. You don't have to keep the rules to become a follower of Jesus, and you don't have to keep the rules to be a follower of Jesus. Paul says it's not about legalism. And he reiterates that here in this little word, obey. Because what he really means, rather than... Uh, legalistic, slavish obedience, mindless, he says. A better understanding of that word is listen. Listen intently and act accordingly. It's the same word that's used by Paul elsewhere in the New Testament when he tells children, children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. He's saying listen to them. Listen and then act accordingly. And let me tell you, Perhaps, kids, if you're uh, suddenly wonder about your parents giving you a list of rules, Paul said, no, listen to them. Listen to their reasoning, why they say life goes better this way. Listen to their experience, that when they did it that way, the consequences that came. Listen and then act accordingly. That's what Paul's telling these people. I like that because it allows us for our own human freedom and choice. When you become a follower of Jesus, you don't turn into some legalistic robot who mindlessly has to obey some man-made list of rules to please God. Rather, the Bible says we have a, a renewed mind of Christ that we can manifest that allows you the freedom to choose, to listen, and to act. You can choose to listen and to obey and to follow the advice and the direction, the precepts and the principles of Scripture. And life will go best that way. Not perfectly, but that's the best way life can be lived. Or you have the freedom to choose to hear that and disregard it. And say, no thanks. I'll do life my way. And suffer the consequences of that. And so Paul begins this lesson of how to flesh out our faith by saying, listen intently to what I've been telling you and choose to follow it if you want God's best for your life. And then he adds this, and, and do it whether I'm there or not. In other words, choose to make listening to God a, a way of life. Act on it whether I'm there watching you or, or I'm not, whether someone's holding you accountable or not. Isn't that good advice for us? If you're a student, for example, you're a teenager, one of the things your parents want you to do is to learn to follow God on your own while you're in their home under their uh, uh, protection and umbrella so that when you leave home someday, you've got that down. It's your faith. You've learned how to listen and to obey and to follow. 
the discipline of learning to listen to God now so that when you're out on your own and the pastor's not there and the church isn't there and you're not surrounded by your Christian friends, you've developed the pattern of life, the discipline of life to listen and to act accordingly to God's word. And Paul underscores that with his next phrase. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, again, we wonder, what does he mean by that? That sounds a lot like a works-oriented approach to salvation, doesn't it? But Paul's not contradicting himself here by adding uh, works to the way of salvation. He's actually just agreeing with what another New Testament writer wrote, James, the half-brother of Jesus. The whole book of James, the, the point of it is that saving faith that isn't expressed in good works isn't saving faith at all. It's a counterfeit. It's not saving faith at all. It's only intellectual assent if it's not backed up by works of our lives. I like the way one pastor put it, Earl Palmer, one of my favorite teaching pastors. He summarized Paul's thought here. He said, your salvation, which is God's gift to you, you get to work it out. You're now to make an event of it yourself. When Christ loved you and he died for you, that was an event. Now you make an event of that salvation. Work it out. Make it practical. Do something with what God has given you. That's good. That's what Paul's saying here. Don't just sing this wonderful song about God's grace in Christ and the person of Jesus, this great theology. Don't just sing that. He says, live it out. Make an event of the grace that you've experienced through faith. But Paul's not finished yet. He wants to proceed to tell us how and where we do that. How we live out this salvation and flesh it out in our lives. And we find that as he continues in verse 14. He says, Now do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You see, not only are we to work it out, Paul says, you're to shine it out. There are two key phrases here that we, we've got to connect. One is in verse 15 that he says, I want you to shine as lights in the sky. And then in verse 16, he connects that as we hold fast to the word of life. You see, living out our faith isn't uh, just shined here in the church, among fellow followers, fellow Christians. Oh, we want to shine it here, of course, but not just here. Paul specifies that we're to shine our lights where? Out there, in a crooked and perverse, warped world, a broken world, a dark world that doesn't have the light of Christ. Paul says that's primarily where you want to shine. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Shine your bright light in a world full of crooked and perverse people. That's one of the main reasons that Jesus brought us into his family. So that we could light the way for others to find their way into the family of God. 
You remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. So let your light shine brightly for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Do you recognize that there are people all around you throughout the week who need to see your light? They live in darkness, and they need the light to come on in their own souls, in their own lives. People where we work, where we shop, where we go to school, where we buy gas, where we exercise, where we bank, where we live, and even where we go to church. And then Paul adds this crucial compliment to his idea of shining as light in a dark place. He says, as we hold to the word of life. That word hold, or hold to, means hold your position, or hold your gaze. So Paul is saying, uh, in order to shine brightly, we have to hold our position in the word of God. We don't just shine any old way we want. It says shine the way the Bible says to shine. That means we need to establish a, a lifetime routine of spending time in God's Word, of knowing God's Word, of being fueled by God's Word so our light is pure and true and bright. In fact, I recommend, this isn't new to you if you've been a follower of Jesus, but I recommend that every follower of Jesus, particularly those that are new followers, you need to be in God's Word on a regular basis. Every follower of Jesus should be in at least one Bible study, whether it be a, a small group or whether you're, maybe your schedule doesn't allow, but it's an online study or it's a self-study. You, you, we need to be feeding on God's Word, the truth of the Bible, and then to develop a daily habit of spending time with God in just a little Bible time. I see it as like seven minutes with God is all it takes every morning to spend time in God's Word to read it, to meditate on it, and to pray it through. To set your, your, the course of your day. You do those two things and you'll definitely begin to sink into holding on to the Word of God. You hear it, you study it in, with people, and then daily you're in God's Word. I'll tell you one of the best resources, if you don't know about it, is to do that, is found to put on your phone an app called YouVersion. You may have heard of it. If you're not, go to the app store and just type in uversion, u.version. It's a great app for the Bible, little devotional time, study, meditation. You'll find a devotional plan there that'll fit the need of your life. And you use that day by day. Because we need to decide that our lives will be soaked in the, in the fuel of God's Word so that our light will shine brightly the truth of God's Word. I like the way Pastor John Piper put it. He said, don't starve the wick of your lamp by not soaking it in the kerosene of the Word. That's good, isn't it? He says, keep your, your wick in the Word. Hold it fast. Give yourself to it. Hold it in your mind and in your heart and live it out in your life. Be known as people of the Word. I often tell college students, in fact, if you're going, thinking of going to college in the next year or so, and uh, particularly maybe in a, a place 
where you will be living outside of the home. Maybe it's a residential school. I often tell college students, on the day you move in to your apartment or to your dorm, if you're a follower of Jesus, the last thing you unpack after you put all your clothes away and you've got everything settled, take your Bible out and be sure you put it on your desk or on your bed. So anybody that walks in your, that room, your roommate and all others, they'll recognize, oh, here's somebody whose life is built upon the Bible. Here's somebody who takes the Bible seriously so that when you begin to shine it out, they recognize where the, the light of your life is coming from. It's coming from the Word of God, grounded in His truth. And then Paul concludes this in verse 16 with these words. He says, And then... I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's saying, if you can live that out, flesh out your faith, he said there's a joy that comes through that. There's a satisfaction of saying I'm grounded in God's Word and I've learned how to get it from my head into my heart and through my hands and my feet to live it out. Work out your salvation, he says, faithfully and consistently. And then you can exit this world someday with full contentment and fulfillment, happiness, knowing that you not just sang the hymn of God's grace, but you also shined it out so that others could see it and could join you in the chorus of God's grace, of God's light in their world and lives as well. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you think, I, I don't want to hear it from somebody else how I should be living or my life come, falls short, but I would like to see it work in somebody's life. What an opportunity we have to live out our faith in front of those who live in darkness but need the light, but maybe have rejected it because of all kinds of things in life, but if they can see it work in somebody's life, they can be attracted to it, to praise and glorify our Heavenly Father along with us. You know, if you like to read thoughtful Christian literature, and I hope if you're a follower of Jesus, you're cultivating that desire to learn, to, to read, and to study, and to grow through good Christian literature. I'm sure you're familiar with the, the name C.S. Lewis. You'll hear me refer to him often, uh, maybe second, third to, to the Bible. Bible's first, but C.S. Lewis is pretty high there in my estimation. A great thinker of the Christian world. And in one of his most creative books, it's called Screwtape Letters. There in that book... He is writing a very creative style. And he's saying there to the people he's writing to, he's, he's writing as a, the senior devil, Screwtape. And he's saying of Screwtape, he's writing to his friend who is uh, Wormwood. So Screwtape's the senior devil. And he's got an apprentice, Wormwood, the junior devil. And Screwtape is trying to help him dis discover and learn the, the tricks of the trade of how to tempt and disable Christians, followers of Jesus. And there's one particular newer believer. His name is Patient. He's become a Christian. 
And he really represents every follower of Jesus. And Screwtape is telling Wormwood, here's how you disable someone like Patient. And the scheme they come up with is to keep Patient from doing anything related to his faith. Oh, he's got the faith. Okay, we lost that. But let's, let's win the, the war by just keeping him inactive. And so Screwtape tells Wormwood this. He says, as long as he does not convert it, his faith, into action, it does not matter how much he thinks about his new repentance. And then he goes on. He says, let the little brute wallow in his faith. And let him just maybe write a book about it. Let him do anything but act upon it. And then he concludes this scheme of how to keep patient ineffective in his Christian faith. He said, the more he feels his faith without acting, the less he'll ever be able to act. And in the long run, the less he'll ever be able to feel. And Paul's point in this passage is he's saying, listen to me, folks. Don't just sing the hymn of God's grace. He says, I want you to act on it, to live it out, to shine it out so that others can see your light and join you in the chorus of God's grace. Let's pray together. God, we want to be people like that, who believe the right things, but then who live it out, who shine it out, the truths of your word, to those around us whose lives are in darkness, who don't know the way to truth, who don't know the way to eternal life. God, we want to be people like that, who listen intently to the truths of your word, and then who act on them, who live them out. We thank you for the joy and privilege of doing that and knowing how to do it when our lives are based upon your word. God, would you give us the strength of your Holy Spirit to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.